This week's episode of Certified comes to you from ACE the OCS. This time of year, everyone is looking for practice tests to make sure they are ready for test day, and we've got an excellent suggestion to help you prepare to ace the exam. ACE the OCS is an updated practice test written for the 2021 exam with questions that feel similar to the actual test regarding their difficulty, question breakdown by body region, and content areas. The author includes several references and detailed explanations behind right and wrong answers for each question to help you learn. Please see the direct Amazon link in our show notes and order your copy today. Again, the name of the book is Ace the OCS, and you can order it directly through Amazon at the link in the show notes. Hi, everyone. Amanda and I are so excited to announce our Tier 3 Patreon membership. Tier 3 members will receive the same benefits as Tier 1 and 2 members, including early access to episodes, bonus episodes, and a monthly newsletter, but will also receive access to group study sessions led by Amanda and I. These study sessions will be held once a month from November through February, and we'll be answering your questions and leading discussions on the topics you want to review. The first study session will be held on Sunday, November 22nd. Don't worry if you can't make the live session. You can submit your questions ahead of time and all Tier 3 members will receive the recording of the session to review. For more details and to sign up for your membership, visit www.patreon.com slash certified OCS prep podcast. This is Certified, the OCS Prep Podcast. I'm Alexis. And I'm Amanda. And we're here to help you prepare for your OCS exam. Hi, everyone. Today, we're going to go over our last subgroup for the cervical spine. And this group is neck pain with headaches. So um, neck pain with headaches is going to include diagnoses of cervical cranial syndrome and headaches. We're like we've done with all the other neck episodes, we're going to discuss presentation and examination and physical impairment measures. So the patient presentation you're going to see in this subgroup is a unilateral headache that's associated with neck or suboccipital symptoms that increase with neck movements or positions, headache symptoms that are produced or aggravated with palpation or mobilization of the same side um, of the posterior cervical myofascial tissue and the joints. You're going to see limitations in cervical active range of motion, restricted cervical segmental mobility, abnormal or substandard performance on the cervical cranial cervical flexion test, and the symptoms are typically non-continuous. So examination measures that we want to make sure we take a look at. Um, The homework one in this category is going to be your cervical flexion rotation test. So we're going to anticipate a positive result, like I said. This test is going to measure the passive rotation range of motion at the C1-C2 segment. So recall that that's where most of the range of motion for rotation comes from in the neck. Um, So we want to make sure that we're checking that segment by itself, which is what this test does. So the patient is going to be positioned supine. The clinician is going to passively flex the cervical spine. Maximum range of motion and deflection is really important because that's how you bias the upper cervical segments. If you don't have the full flexion, um, you're not going to get just C1, C2. The therapist is then going to passively rotate the patient's head left and right. The end range 
the end range of motion in rotation is determined either by the patient's reported onset of pain or when firm resistance is felt by the therapist, whichever one comes first. The amount of range of motion is done either by visual estimation or use of the, like a CROM device, which if you're not familiar with that, it's essentially like a device that patients strap onto their head that has like um, inclinometers on it and allows you to basically read the degrees of motion without having to use your hands. Um, it's very difficult to do this test and it's not impossible if you're trying to also measure. So typically I think most therapists do it with visual estimation unless you have a CROM device. Um, a positive test is gonna be a reduction of range of motion by 10 degrees between sides or a restriction of rotation less than 32 degrees. Um, the mean rotation in a healthy individual at C1, C2 ranges from 39 to 45 degrees. So like I said, it's making up the majority of the rotation that we have in our neck. So that segment's particular, particularly important. Um, the mean findings in individuals with cervicogenic headaches is gonna be 20 to 28, so far below the average of healthy individuals. We're also gonna see in this um, patient subgroup headache symptoms that are reproduced with provocation of the involved upper cervical segments. Um, and you're gonna see, again, that restricted mobility in those same segments. You wanna check their cervical range of motion you're going to anticipate limitations, often in rotation. Um, clinically, I think I see it kind of everywhere. Sometimes these patients are a little have a little bit of like kinesiophobia. Um, they don't like to move into that end range. So you will see range of motion limitations elsewhere, but be particularly mindful to that rotation. You still want to check the strength and endurance and coordination um, of their neck muscles, specifically their deep neck flexors. Um, again, it's just good um, evaluation techniques, but not the most important part of this subgroup. And then, you know, we keep talking about reviewing medical screening, particularly in your spine cases, cervical spine and lumbar spine. Um, I think you're going to see it come up a lot. And clinically, it also just makes a big difference as direct access is improving. Personally, I think with headaches in this subcategory, sometimes these patients come in with kind of vague, um, somewhat ambiguous symptoms. You know, it's not like the radiating pain group that like has consistent pain down their arm. These symptoms can be a little more intermittent and kind of vague. So I think medical screening is even more important, especially when you're talking about the head and neck. There's a lot of other structures in that area that can be causing some considerable issue if it's missed. So you really, again, want to be considering that treat, treat and refer or refer only mindset. You know, is this patient appropriate? Do we need to get a referral also? That kind of a thing. You know, if they have dizziness and it's positional and you're not a vestibular therapist, you know, treat them for their next step and then send them to the vestibular therapist to work on the dizziness aspect, that sort of thing. Um, keep in mind that headaches, which is why this is so important in this subgroup, it can be caused by um, a number of other systems like cardiac, neuro, or musculoskeletal. So one area of um, knowledge that I picked up doing my residency is this system called the five D's and three N's. And it's a set of symptoms that you really want to be screening for. And if you see any of them, it's typically a refer out situation because it could be coming from a cardiac or neuro system. So the five D's are dysphagia, diplopia, dysarthria, and dysphagia. Your and is ataxia and anxiety. And your three ends are nausea, numbness, and nystagmus. So any of those symptoms, if you're questioning about those, you need to be, have a heightened sense of awareness where what system is causing that, especially if it's accompanied with a headache. 
So interventions in this subgroup, it's important to, again, note that short-term and intermediate term is a vague definition. As with any kind of interventions, you know, they're not well-defined. So keep that in mind as you're reading research. In the acute phase, we want to really focus on exercise. So the C1, C2 self snags, there was an article uh, study done by Gross et al found that the C1, C2 snag was beneficial to reduce pain and headache intensity over the short and long term when it was compared to a control. So this is also applicable for that subacute population. Um, and then another study by Gross et al found that there is greater benefit for active mobility exercises when compared to collar use to decrease pain and reduce disability over the short term and decrease pain over the intermediate term. So I think the biggest thing to keep in mind there is we really want to be discouraging collar use and we really want to be, again, promoting that active movement, active participation in recovery because that's what's going to reduce the disability and chronicity in these spine patients. Um, yes, specifically in this subgroup, but that's true kind of across the board. So that's why that study is um, very important. In the subacute phase, um, you're going to see more evidence here to support cervical manipulation and mobilizations. There's um, proven benefit relative to a control to reduce neck pain, decrease headache intensity and headache frequency over the immediate, um, immediate and the long term. So again, um, probably not the most appropriate in the acute phase, but into that subacute and chronic phase, those manipulations and mobilizations are going to be more helpful. And again, in the subacute category, those C1, C2 snags um, are your kind of go-to exercise to help get that upper cervical spine moving. And then in the chronic phase, here we are going to see a little bit more mobilization and manipulation. So for cervical manipulation, it's going to be most beneficial when you combine it with exercises. And the literature is going to support benefit with cervical manipulation performed three to four times a week for 12 to 18 sessions when it was compared to manipulations one time a week for three to eight sessions, um, basically the higher frequency, longer duration was more beneficial. And they looked at reduction in headache, pain and frequency um, in the short term. So the benefit with cervical manipulation at three to four times a week for 12 to 18 weeks was not necessarily maintained over those longer terms. Um, but again, I think in these chronic patients, if it's something you can manage to do, I, I think that frequency and duration is sometimes a challenge in most clinics, but if it's something you can manage and it gets them some short-term benefits so they can start tolerating exercise and movement better and they become um, less pain focused, that kind of a thing, I think there's a lot of value in that. And then again, you want to be looking at cervical and thoracic manipulations. I think in this, um, the chronic folks, even more so than your acute and subacute, really looking at that thoracic spine and making sure that you've got um, your manipulation there too. Um, thoracic and cervical manipulations are going to be superior to massages or placebo treatments. I think that kind of goes without saying, hopefully at this point. Um, again, we're looking at reduction in pain and improving function. So for exercising um, the cervical and scapulothoracic region, they talk about strengthening and endurance exercises with neuromuscular training, including those motor control and biofeedback elements. So I think this is where like tactile cueing comes in, those postural corrections, really starting to incorporate more of that thoracic spine, focusing a little bit less just on the neck. There's going to be benefit over the long term to reduce pain and improve function. And it's also important to note that these interventions 
um, or hallmark in helping the patient notice a perceived benefit. So sometimes I think the challenge with chronic pain patients is getting them, we know what's best for them and what they need, but getting them to perceive the same benefit is a challenge. So this study was kind of good in the sense that it noted that the um, strengthening endurance exercises for the scapular thoracic region also helped the patient's perceived benefit. And then again, manual therapy, if you're going to use it in this subcategory, um, it needs to be combined with exercises. So there was eight cited studies in the CPG that supported a combination effect, and you're looking at reduction in pain, decreased frequency of headaches and intensity of headaches, and to improve function while improving the perceived effect. So there's a lot of research in this area, um, and improvements are noted over short and long term. So that kind of goes over headaches. I think the other thing to note when you're treating patients with headaches, um, not just asking about pain, because headache pain can be um, kind of variable, vague, it's all different types of pain. Really looking at, I know several of the neurologists that I work with really look at um, duration, intensity, and frequency of headaches. I know frequency is a big one. You know, they ask how many headache days have you had in the last month? So when you're trying to assess these patients, those are definitely measures I would be asking about. Um, that's just clinically kind of what I've seen. Alexis, do you have anything you want to add on, um, neck pain with headaches? I know you do some vestibular work too. So if you have anything on that note, chime in. Um, I mean, not really, not, not really anything to add. I think that you're right about the screening and making sure if there's some sort of um, vestibular component that that's being addressed. I just think sometimes that can be that missing puzzle piece. Um, and so, you know, screening for those things I think are important and making sure you're asking. And sometimes you have to dig in a little bit um, because people don't necessarily, you know, the term dizziness means different things to different people. Um, and sometimes vestibular weakness in general can present differently. So like, um, for instance, like I'll have people who say like they've never been dizzy, but they get really motion sick. Well, that's an indicator of there's something going on with that vestibular system. So just make sure you're screening it because um, it, it can present in different ways and people define it differently. The other thing I will add, this is ne not necessarily in the CPG or research material, but um, I think in this population, helping patients to identify triggers is important. I sometimes see patients mm -hmm. who are referred to therapy for headaches that aren't necessarily a musculoskeletal cause. You know, they have a history of migraines and stuff. Yes, they may have some cervical spine issues that we need to address, but their main issue is not the, not a cervical or not a musculoskeletal issue causing their headaches. So making sure that you're doing those examination measures and their symptoms should be brought on with movement if it's musculoskeletal based or lack of movement. Um, but we should be able to make an effect on those. Someone who has migraines, that's a completely different etiology and process. And not to say you can't address their neck dysfunction, you know, if they have a movement coordination impairment, but then they would more so fit into the movement coordination category and they need DNF endurance training more so than um, the treatments we just talked about for headaches. Right. So are, is the neck causing their headaches or because they have headaches, are they, you know, experiencing some issues in their neck? Exactly. And that's and what came exactly. first. And sometimes it's hard to tell. And sometimes it takes a couple of visits to tell, but really trying to tease that out is important because it can change the course of your treatment.
Yeah, for sure. That kind of wraps up our next series. What we're going to move into next is some, some different upper quarter topics that we feel are important. So stay tuned for those. Great. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you.